Well, good morning. As they would say in Texas, how y'all doing? How y'all doing? Well, uh, today's message is please don't quit. And this message is for me. Now, I don't know if it's for you, but it's for me. And I'm telling you that in going through this, now we're going to get to Luke chapter 18. I know it. I've taught it. I've read it a million times. I'm aware a little bit and all that. But then when you got to kind of dive in, then you got to kind of preach it in front of people. You have to say, well, does this apply to me? And the answer without any equivocation is yes, it applies to me. It applies to me not only in the short term, but it applies to me for things that I have been praying about for decades and I have seen zero movement, zero movement. Probably none of you uh, are praying uh, in that way. And I realized this week that in some ways I had actually lost heart. Now I would never, in a, I would never verbalize this. I would never say, you know what, I don't believe anymore. I just don't ever think it's that. But deep down, there's kind of a, an underlying sense that this is never going to happen. It's just impossible. Now, the context of what we're going to read this morning is Jesus, and he's just talked about his coming back, this coming of the Son of Man, which is what we looked at last week, affectionately called the apocalypse. Well, not affectionately, you understand what I'm saying. So now he, he spins off of that and he begins to talk, he's going to tell them a parable. And what we're going to read here in Luke 18, verse 1, catch this, and we know immediately why he tells this parable. Sometimes he tells a parable, it's somewhat enigmatic, we have to kind of understand, maybe dig through layers. Some of you have heard parables that Jesus taught and it wasn't for 10, 15, 20 years later that you go, oh, I really see the depth of that parable. I didn't really see that. And now you see it. It's amazing how that works. It's almost like parables, as I've said before, like deflector shields. Uh, you, they'll penetrate when your heart is ready to receive them. You, you might have heard them for years, but somehow they just penetrate. And it's not often that Jesus just gives a direct reason for giving a parable. He may give it contextually, but he doesn't necessarily give a direct reason. Here he does, listen to what he says. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and to not lose heart. Are you, is there anything you're praying for now that you just kind of have lost heart? You just feel like, I just don't know if it's ever gonna happen, I just, well, obviously their answer sometimes is no, and it may never happen, and that's just part of the definition of prayer, as we'll see in a minute. But he also says, and again, the context, the direct context is the coming back of the Son of Man. But I think there's broader implications and applications that we can look at, and we're gonna do that this morning. He says, in a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and didn't respect man at all. And there was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. Now for a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, this is internal dialogue, even though I do not fear God, I don't respect man, 
Yet because this widow bothers me, bugging me out of my mind, I'm going to give her some legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Now, it's a little, this is a difficult translation, quite frankly. If you go back and look at this, it, those words together there in the Greek are actually, it's, it's interesting. It's like striking somebody uh, under the eye. It's to give a black eye to somebody. It probably was a Middle Eastern idiom of some sort that maybe something like we would say, you know, oh, I got a, that guy gave me a black eye. In other words, that guy really ruined my reputation. We were in friendship together and then he really gave me a black eye. It wasn't a literal black eye, obviously, but somehow I was damaged by this. I, I was damaged and I think that's probably what's going on here. And obviously that involves wearing somebody out. Now it's interesting and then the Lord said, and then the, it's over, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now Jesus is saying, now listen to what he said. It's gonna wear me out this woman. You're gonna give me a black eye. I'm, ex this is, I'm exhausted from this person. Okay, I'll give her the legal protection. He said, listen to what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, again, in our total context of what is actually being taught here, he's talking about the coming back of the Son of Man. But this, again, has much broader implications. And at its very core, this is about persistence in prayer, not losing heart, not giving up, continually, continuously, continuously, continuously praying for things that you're, you just wonder, is it ever, could it ever happen? I, I'll never forget, this was years ago, I was watching Christian television or something, and it was, it was pretty soon after I had come to know the Lord, and they had showed this little interview, I think it was maybe even the 700 Club or something, I don't remember what it was, but she had talked about her husband had been in trouble with the law, and it was just a mess, and he had zero interest in God, and she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed, and about over, over a decade went by, no movement, nothing, she got no, no hint that he was even one step closer and maybe he was 10 steps further away and then something happened out of, well, really out of nothing and, and then they brought the husband in and they were, had this loving marriage and it was this great relationship and he wasn't in trouble with the law anymore and he, had, he was, wasn't an addict anymore and I just, I remember seeing that and I'm going, who could pray for over a decade? And I just thought, you know, you ask and it doesn't happen by the next day or at least in the next week, you just kind of give up. You lose heart. Isn't that, or God just said no. I'll never forget that. It was an, an indel it left an indelible impression on this little tiny spiritual brain at that time. And I was like, don't give up. Laura was helping me scour my office early this morning before it was even light. And I was trying to find this little notebook that I have and I'm not as good as I should be. Some of you are great journalers. Journaling is a great thing you can do in your relationship with the Lord because oftentimes you pray about things and you don't, Really, and then if you have that journal, you can look back five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years later, and be, it's just remarkable how many of the things that God actually answers 
uh, over time. It's remarkable. Maybe some of you have had that experience. And, but I have one particular entry is a letter that I've written. Maybe I've shared with this with some of you before. A letter that I wrote to uh, a gentleman, well, in the 90s that I was gonna give to him on the day that he accepts Jesus. I have prayed for this man more than I've prayed for any other one individual in my entire life. It's a regular part of my prayer life, but I realized as I was looking at Luke 18, I pray it and I pray it out of obligation and in some ways I pray it out of Luke 18. The problem was I lost heart probably a long time ago, wondering could this ever be? Would this ever happen? And there are parts of me that just think, I don't think it's ever gonna happen. Maybe you're there this morning. Now, the question of course arises, why would Jesus tell this parable? Well, first of all, he recognizes that we're in a human body. We're not timeless and spaceless. We can't see the future. He realizes, now if you also understand the scripture, the Bible also says that Jesus was tempted in every way we're tempted and yet he didn't fail. Now that doesn't mean he didn't have emotional moments and cry out to God, uh, Father, where are you? I mean, this is kind of part of Jesus' journey. This is not about you never having a negative emotion in your response and dialogue with God. This is not about that at all. You have to get that in your head. This is not about having a Pollyannish view and you know whistling past the graveyard. That's not what this is about. This is about a real life struggle with unbelief at its core. The goodness of God, it brings up all kinds of things. And yet Jesus knew, having suffered these things himself, unanswered prayer is suffering. You do realize that. It's hard. Now, if you don't believe in anything and you just think we're some cosmic chance out there, Prayer is silly and because you can't affect anything and so you just kind of roll with the punches and you learn to just kind of exist. Isn't that true? I see people that way all the time. Even death, they just say, well, at some point I die and you know, it, you know, it is what it is. But if you're wrestling and trying to hold to these two ideas, the idea that you should never relent in prayer and that God is good and that he has great plans for you and that he's conforming you to the image of Christ and you have an eternal hope and then you have all this unanswered prayer over there and you just kind of, and you, you may even read this and say, I'm gonna pray, but you just, you've lost heart a long time ago. And I realized in many ways, at least as it related to this particular person in my life, I lost heart. And I don't know when it happened, it just kind of did. I didn't stop praying, I just lost heart. And this week, in my dialogue with Jesus, it was like, Jeff, why have you lost heart? Go back to the parable. Now, what's odd about this parable is a little bit of what we saw in Luke 16 with the unrighteous steward. Why would Jesus say this? Is it a comparative sense? Like if this guy who doesn't love God and doesn't care and doesn't, and, and he finally gets worn out, is this somehow uh, a parable describing that God is being worn out by your prayers? I mean, I can imagine if it's the first time to read the Bible that some of you may say, yeah, this is kind of, well, you just wear God out until he's like, all right, all right, you've, you've worn me out. You've, you've damaged my reputation in some way? No, that's not what this is about at all. It's a comparison. It's a literary device to try to grab them, shake them, 
and, and have them remember that if in, an un, if in a seen realm and an unrighteous man, how much more will God, who is faithful and loving and has a plan for your life in very specific ways, if that's the case, how much more so your heavenly Father? You know, Jesus also understood that our timetables, typically, and God's timetables, we're way off on this. And we don't really discover that except through, at times, now catch this, unanswered prayer, or what we perceive to be unanswered. And by the way, you don't know that, and I don't know, say it's been multiple decades, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes in this person's heart. I don't know what's going on in that realm. And that may, may have been a seed that I continually plan and I'm the one, and then at some point that's just gonna, a lot of things that are going on underneath the ground and then all of a sudden it's just gonna sprout, it's gonna be glorious, it's gonna be amazing. And I have to cling to those kind of agrarian kind of pictures and metaphors in my life to think there are seeds there and it looks like that ground is so hard that seed could never make its way up. But I don't know when latter rains are gonna come. I don't know when the spirit poured out in this man's life could turn everything in a moment's time. Don't lose heart, Jeff. Okay, now I'm preaching to me. Jeff, do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. If that guy and that unrighteous judge, God's not the unrighteous judge. But there are some things that we must understand when we think about prayer. So first, in order, and again, we talk about prayer a lot at Church at the Red Door because we recognize that nothing advances outside of prayer. It really doesn't. And I, don't, and I used to wonder why was that such a big part of the overall plans of the kingdom is that us having dialogue with God because Jesus wants to draw us into the plans where we can, well, we increase our relationship with him, the very purpose for which we were created. God's in control. God's in absolute control. Prayer helps us identify that, but sometimes it takes years, maybe decades, and it's a desperate process, but if we just don't quit, See, I, if, I, if I get anything, just don't quit. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Okay, so first, what is prayer? I, think, I really think of prayer in three functional categories. Number one, it's petition. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread is petitionary. It's a, it's a request. We have some requests, Lord. We're asking that you would do this or act in this way or heal this person or heal me or provide for me or provide for our family or do something or finish this church because we feel like we've been sitting on this forever and we, it's, COVID was really hard on this and Lord, aren't you out there? I mean, come on, Lord. And, and you know, and petitionary prayer can be also desperate. It's a learned desperation. Especially when it doesn't act when you think he ought to act. Petitionary prayer is part of prayer. But there's also, and it's, it's important to understand, and I talk about this a lot because this was, again, a huge step forward for me in my own spiritual journey when I recognized that prayer also is discovery. 
It's not just about getting God to try to orchestrate the universe in a way that you feel would be appropriate at this stage in your own infancy. (laughs) And I will always be an infant on this planet relative to what I will know someday. I will know as I'm known. I mean, there's a day when I will see things radically different in a different way, differently. I'll see them radically differently. And, and, and I know that that's coming and I recognize my, my vision of what should be is so limited. Now, there's some things that I do know. I know that Jesus is interested in reaching the world. I know that he's gifted me in certain ways, gifted us as a church in certain ways. And I, and I see the giftings around. There are a lot of things that I do know. But timing is challenging and the discovery of prayer is not only discovering what he wants me to do specifically, not just kind of categorically like, you know, the great commission or the great commandment. It's not just those things. It's also, it involves those, of course, but it also involves the discovery of timing. And sometimes you discover timing by him not apparently answering your prayer. I mean, that sounds funny, but... It's not that he comes down and you hear this voice, this is not going to happen for another five and a half years. Relax. (laughs) Usually he speaks to me in this way. I mean, that's usually, especially during cricket season, that's about all I hear sometimes. It's like, when, when? All right, not now. Maybe tomorrow, but maybe not today. Discovery is a huge part. And then lastly, I think of prayer is dialogue. Now, this can be a mind-blowing concept for some of you. In fact, some of you will think that this is in some way not showing enough respect to the Almighty, to the infinite, to the creator of all things. Why would he ever be interested in sitting down in a anthropomorphic way, sitting down like God doesn't really sit, the God the Father, uh, Jesus did, but God the Father is spirit. Uh, But in a sense, sitting down and having a cup of coffee. Imagine this kind of interaction in prayer. Getting up, having a cup of coffee. What's going on today, Jesus? You say, well, that's ridiculous. Is it? Is it? And we talk about personal relationship. When I talk about my friend Jeff Goves here and, and, and his wife Heather and the kids were part of the church, but then somehow they listened to the voice of the devil and moved all the way to Idaho. <laughs> and we're trying to help them you know, here again and have them move back. But anyway, Jeff's in town for a few weeks. We have relationship. How do we do that? It's not just, hey, well, you got an extra sleeve of balls for me? Petitionary. It's not just, hey, discovery, how long are you gonna be here, what's gonna happen when you're leaving. It's also playing a few holes, sitting down for a cup of coffee, maybe having a meal together, catching up. Now, if that is a normative way in which we have human interaction, and then we have this whole thing about having a personal relationship with Jesus, why would we stop at discovery and petition and not get into a dialogue, kind of a relationship, meaning Jesus, how are you? Now, of course he's well. What are you thinking about? What's going on in your mind, right? How, how are you viewing the Coachella Valley? What are, what, you know, and then it, 
and I have some people, I've, ne- I've done this a time or two, it's a little odd for me, but some people flow with this is that they, when they're there to have this feeling of dialogue, they'll pull up a chair next to them and imagine Jesus sitting in that chair and then trying to have a cup of coffee together. Jesus hates oat milk, by the way. He doesn't mind, he doesn't mind skim milk, but he hates oat, no, I'm just kidding. But you get the point. I mean, it, it, and you have this dialogue. And if you say, well, that's, that's ridiculous to me. Try it, try it. What are you thinking about? How do, how do you view me, Lord? What are you, you know, what, what's going on in the valley? How has COVID affected this? Well, well what's going on? How, you know, ask him. And you might be surprised, he might ask you some questions and usually his questions are pretty probative. And then all of a sudden you recognize, I'm not so comfortable with this, you know. Is he looking into my soul? Uh, yeah, he, he's exactly doing that. So that, I, that's how I think of prayer, in those three ways. And I think if you're missing any of the three, that you're not walking in the fullness of prayer and that you need to stick it out in all three aspects of prayer forever. Now, what I'm gonna do, and I'm gonna do this over the next two weeks. I'm, gonna, I've, I'm, I'm not gonna obligate him to, uh, although I'm gonna tell you now. So our stat, Link staff is coming in from around the country next week. Many of them will be here with us next Sunday. And we have a staff retreat, some of the board. I don't think much of the board will get here by Sunday morning. But anyway, uh, we're gonna have, and, and some of you know, and Dennis has shared this a little bit with us, but I was, I was driving here this morning. I just sensed that I said, I need to have Dennis come up and talk about his son and, a, and over a decade of incredible, and some of you know the story, incredible health challenges and thought he was gonna die and that we're never gonna have him back. And now, but now we know the rest of the story and now he's pastor in a church, he's incredibly healthy, uh, they have a child. I mean, you know, I mean, wow, wow, how does that? But what about the 10 years when it was and no answer, things getting worse. What did that feel like? Really, emotionally as a human being living in a, living in a physical body, what was that like? And I'm gonna have him share that. And now he's obligated to it. So I called him this morning and said, will, I didn't get a hold of him, will you do it? And so now his answer will have to be yes. So he'll share that with us next week, which would be great. But I'm gonna get into a few things. And again, please get this. How do we not lose heart? You know, desperation is a learned thing. Listen to Paul Miller. Listen to what he says. He says, the persistent widow and the friend at midnight, the two different parables Jesus told, they get access, access to God not because they're strong, but because they're desperate. Learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. You know, one of the things I've learned in prayer is that sometimes the reason my prayers aren't answered is that God has to exhaust all of the, I can do this, I can make this happen kind of vibe on the inside of my soul and I finally become so desperate. How do you become so desperate and at the same time not lose heart? It's, it's an odd, you'd say, well, those are mutually exclusive. But are they? It's almost, I've learned a flip way to view this. The more desperate I'm becoming and the more temptation I have to lose heart, probably I'm getting closer to the answer to my prayer in the first place because I think sometimes God likes to just exhaust us to recognize because when I do it and I pray, look, let's say for instance, 
I had a bunch of really wealthy people that I knew, and then we just got this thing, and we prayed, oh yeah, Lord, we really, we really feel like you've called us to be over here on Jefferson and all this, and you know, we need to build this church and all that, and, and, and I really feel that, and then I've, in my back pocket, I got a few you know, really wealthy people. I come over here and I talk to them a little bit, and we pray a little bit, and then all, you know, all the money comes flowing in on the, within a month, let's say. And then, oh, we thank you, almighty God, for this provision, and we would do that. But deep down, I would have a tendency towards, uh, I had all these connections and that. There's a certain place in which desperation, learn desperation, is to me a part of it because it, it immunizes me from any pride, a self-congratulatory kind of vibe about who I am. I'm telling you, every little step I've ever made in the kingdom has come, real step, transcendent, long-term, not fading away, every one of those steps has been at the end of a desperate season in my life. Any real movement, it's not like, oh yeah, and then I had this, and then I did that, and then, because when you look back, and I look back at my life, if I'm to be honest with you, and people say, oh, look what's happened, and look what, you know, links, and this, and this, you know, and Israel College, the Bible, different things, whatever I put my, oh, yeah. and I look back at my life, and I look back, and, and I look at my contributions, I say failure, 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 failure. And some of you have heard me say this, we're, I'm, and I mean it. I don't say this in some kind of self-deprecating way. I really believe that my entire spiritual journey has been failing my way to success. I have to have you understand that. And in doing so, the Lord has been able to immunize me from the kind of sense that I've really done anything. I really don't feel, I just feel like I did everything I could to wiggle out of everything God's ever called me to do. I really feel that way. I, I, I don't sense anything, I, I, there's nothing other than just, just faith it just and reading the Bible. I mean, okay. Well done, Jeff. You read the Bible. Re well done. Yeah, I, I believe Proverbs 12. If you don't, you don't like instruction, then you're stupid. It's Proverbs 12.1. Okay? I, I, all right. I, so I like instruction. Sometimes. As long as it fits my agenda. And then the Lord shows me, again, Learn desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Because why? In the end, the only safe place I, the only safe ground I ever walk on is the ground that is so focused on Jesus and his glory and his kingdom. And, and by the way, that's what, as you've heard me say before, that's what's gonna make heaven, heaven because we don't like blowhards and glory fame, fame seekers and glory seekers. We don't like that. We don't like being around those people. So why would heaven be full of those people? It's gonna people a people that have learned that they are the created and not the creator. So here are a few lessons I think we can glean. I'll give you three this week and I'll give you a few next week. I'm not even gonna say three, maybe we get two this week. Number one, God loves to give. You, you understand, you can't read the Bible and see that God doesn't love to give. God loves to give. He loves, but only 
when it won't destroy the recipient of the gift. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, listen to what Jesus says. He says, if you then, being evil, there, there it is again, right? <laughs> so he's talking to people who are listening to him, following him, whatever. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your own children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, now catch this, give what you want. That's not what it says. Give what is good to those who ask him. Now, that hit me this week. I was like, he doesn't just give gifts. He gives those gifts that are good. Has anybody ever prayed for anything and then looking back, you just go, why, why was I praying for that? I mean, I prayed for, I prayed, certainly in my early years, I just prayed, Lord, just help me in this tournament. I, I really think, I, you know, I can do this. I can make all kinds of birdies. I can win this tournament. And, and then I would go out and not have it, not have that happen and, and uh, like I wanted it to. And, and I would just beat myself up and I would say, God's not listening. And did I not hear him? And I thought I was supposed to kind of be in the golf. But it was the golf world that brought me to Coachella Valley. It was the golf world and its failure in the golf world that has me here and maybe not out on the Champions Tour this week and just in Newport Beach, or next week it'll be back here in the Valley, and some of you know, I think we sold out the whole thing. I'm no Bernard Longer, he won 40, he's won 45 times on the Champions Tour, he shoots his age like he was 100 years old or something, he's only 64 years old, he shoots his age in competitive golf all the time, and he's a believer, why couldn't I have had that life, why couldn't I, he's gonna share his faith, he's been, people recognize him with Jesus and all that, and I'm just saying, why didn't that happen? That, in my view, I had this whole plan. I had it all planned out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. He's going to help me make a few more birdies. And uh, at the end of that time, think of all the great things I can do for God. I had it all planned. Now, you're into that too, Jesus, right? <laughs> Another fail Q school, another. I look back and I say, it wouldn't have been a good gift. Relative to what I know now, it would have been a fun season, it would have been, but then I think all of a sudden, I've been having this thoughts. I, do you ever get to a place where you start playing, being with people that are your age and you, in your mind you think that they should be your father? <laughs> that happens to me more and more. I'm like this person and then I look in the mirror and I go, oh, no, they should be your son. You know, I mean, it's just like, what the heck is going on here? How did this happen? How did I get older? I mean, I just, you know. Have you ever, have you ever had that, those moments and now I look at the guys that were successful that were my age, and then I go out with, I, know they're, I don't know if they're here today, but the Highsmith family, and you know, Joe's got his corn fair, and he was a big NCAA Division I. They, he, his shot kind of won the NCAA Division I at Pepperdine when they won the national championship a couple years ago. And, la -da 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 -da. and then I'm saying, oh, and I'll bring up some names that were superstars during my day, and they go, who? Would that not have been a fun ride? 
oh, it could have been a real fun ride. Maybe I have a little bit more money and I, maybe I could have built this whole church on my own. Lord, if you could, that would have been a good plan. I'd make so much money and then, uh, you know, whatever, signed with live and I just write a check and just say, who built your church? The Saudis built our church. I shouldn't, I'm getting way off course here now, but anyway. <laughs> You get the point. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. Meet me afterwards and I'll put somebody that can explain all this to you. But, but the point is, is I look back and what is it? Your father in heaven knows how to give good gifts. There is a qualifier. It's good, but it's good from his perspective. You've all, we've all heard about it. It's the poor little rich kid is getting things, is is giving my children everything they ever wanted and providing everything they ever needed without them ever being led to a place of desperation in their own spiritual lives? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? One of the things that I have seen, I have seen the reality of the poor little rich kid. Kids with parents were, that were billionaires, not even millionaires, billionaires and their lives and I go, that wasn't such a good gift. But she didn't see it in the early stages it takes a long time. There's a place that God wants to take you in prayer and he loves to give, but he's not gonna get. He will not give a gift that is not good for you and he's thinking about your eternal soul and not always your immediate, the immediate satisfaction of a perceived need, even if that perception, well, is a kingdom perception. Are you following me? It's important to understand. Secondly, the Lord, as we said, wants relationship. He does. He wants continuous dialogue. He created you for just this kind of interaction. He just did. And now are you ready for this? We are changed through the waiting process. I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. I believe that what I told you earlier, it's been multiple decades in the 90s and wrote this letter and I'm like, man, I'll wait a whole year before I give him this. I, Lord, I'm gonna have so much faith. I never imagined 25 years. 25 years this year, that letter has been sitting in my office without the opportunity to give it. Has anything happened in the meantime? Well, immediately you'd say, well, the only thing that's really of any significance will be dig into this person's heart and are there seeds that are maybe not just dead or, or did the birds steal them away or did, or did things grow up and weeds and to choke them or, I mean, all this thing that Jesus gave in the, the, the parable of the sower. But, now catch this, what about me? Was there any significance in my waiting? Lamentations chapter three. Lamentations chapter three, verse 25. Listen to what Jeremiah is lamenting here. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations. Mr. Lament was not a prophet. It was a writing, it was a lamentation of Jeremiah, okay? So, and it, it, most people, is, I don't read Lamentations. There's just nothing really in there. It's just lament. You don't think that's part of your spiritual journey? But listen to what it says. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. That's dialogue, that's engagement with the creator. It is good 
Do you read this? Wait a minute. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Good who loves to wait. Lord, I want to tell that story you told me last night at Trader Joe's, but I won't. But I want to so badly. <laughs> so I'm going to tell it anyway. I'm going to pay a huge price because I love the Church of the Red Door. I'm going to pay a huge price for this later. But Laura went up and she had a few items at Trader Joe's. She was telling me yesterday and it was in the lane of 15, you know, 15 items or less. And she probably had 12, 13 of these items. And a woman came up behind her, looking at her, assuming, and she had like a I think it was vodka and ice cream or something. I think Laura told me or something. Just a couple things. And she got, Laura said she got right up into her face, right up into her face. And she says, don't you see the sign? Don't you see the sign? Don't you see the sign? And uh, I won't tell you Laura's response. But anyway, you can ask her about that later. Uh, but we will have, we will anoint her with oil and the elders will come down and pray for her later. But People don't like to wait. I mean, I'm so freaking out in the desert when I, because I was at a light the other day on a 111, and I was looking up there and the light changed. Oh, finally, the light changed, and we got there and it changed again before I went through. And that used to never happen in the desert at all. In fact, I try to tell my kids when I first, my first foray up Washington Street to La Quinta Hotel was with, and I'm not name dropping, but it was Johnny Bench. The, for some of you don't know who that is, but that was a great Cincinnati Reds catcher. And I'd met him. I was over at Mission Hills. He goes, you want to play this place called the uh, Mountain Course? And I said, yeah. And he, we took off and he was, he was a spokesperson for Chevrolet and he had a souped up Chevrolet. We got there really fast and I enjoyed that. And uh, we were coming up Washington and Washington didn't even have any curbs on it, nor a median. It was just a two lane with dirt on the side. I mean, Judy Vossler, she would know that. I mean, her, when, when Joe and Ernie built, started doing the landmark stuff out there, you just kind of go up this little, and now it's eight gazillion lanes across and turn lanes and people are going a million miles an hour. Nobody could have even conceived of that. How would that even happen? We hate to wait. What would that look like on Washington if it was just two lanes? See, we see our prayer life it's just oftentimes just being two lanes with no median, no turn lane, and then all of a sudden there's a big event and God's too distracted. And now all of a sudden we read Lamentations and it said, it is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It's good to wait. Try that on for a good sermon. That's why I didn't entitle It's Good to Wait because nobody would have come. So it's good to wait, why? It changes us. It forces us into a place of desperation. And the parable this morning, don't lose heart. Don't do it. Tim Keller, many of you know I love. Prayer is awe. Prayer is intimacy. And prayer is struggle. If you don't know prayer as struggle, then you haven't really prayed yet. Do you see that in the life of Jesus? Struggling prayer? What about the Garden of Gethsemane? What about being on the mountain all night long before he chose his disciples? Couldn't he have gone up there and just gone, okay, Matthew, Mark, John, James, okay, I can get back down before they even start the fish fry. 
all night long? Why? Waiting, waiting is good for us. You don't hear that often. You hear about faith and, you know, just faith. Waiting is good for you. Waiting is good for me. It doesn't feel like it, though. He says it's a struggle, and yet, Tim Keller says, it is the way to reality. Oh, it's awe? It is. It's glorious. It's intimacy, but it's struggle, and it is the way to reality. There is nothing more important or harder or richer or more life-altering. There is absolutely nothing so great as prayer. And again, I'm speaking to me. So that's part one of prayer. And uh, what I want us to do is I want us to recognize that losing heart is the Satan's ultimate strategy for you. Now, he may not be able to take your salvation. I mean, that is, you are saved by grace through faith. But he can, he can take your joy and he can take your effectiveness in the kingdom. He can take your fruitfulness. He can take away so much in this life by just getting you to lose heart. Some of you this morning have lost heart. You have really lost heart. And you wouldn't say it, you'll, you know, we're, we come together and we're worshiping and everything, and everything wonderful. And then the second your door closes and then you hear beep, 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 you can put on your seatbelt and you drive out. That sense of kind of a gnawing sense of defeat, maybe depression. Some of you may be very discouraged this morning. And the more you talk to God about it, the less you hear anything. Jesus told them a parable to show them that they should always pray and to not lose heart to not lose heart. Okay, Pastor Paul.